Welcome to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast with your host, John Hugh, and you are in for a treat today. My interview with Dr. Marie Cosgrove. Her story is one that I believe needs to be heard by many. She was born into poverty. She had challenging times growing up. She had an abusive marriage, got out of that, raised four kids on her own. She struggled early on in her business life. All of that led her to become the success that she is today. And this is part one of my conversation with her. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Dr. Marie Cosgrove. I am the author of Greater Fortune, Essential Lessons from the Entrepreneur Who Bought the Company That Fired Her. I am an expert in resilience, and I am a speaker as well as being known as the woman who bought the company that fired her. Life is all about relationships, and great leaders heavily invest in those relationships. On the Relationships and Revenue podcast, we talk about how to improve our most significant relationships at home so we can be better in our business relationships. We talk with experts from all over the world representing many disciplines about the best tips and strategies to become amazing people and amazing leaders. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin. As always, so excited to have each and every one of you join us, either by listening or viewing. And as you heard from that introduction, I have Dr. Marie Cosgrove with me today. Dr. Marie, how are you? I am doing great, and I'm honored to be here on your podcast. Well, thanks for being here. And as you guys heard, Dr. Marie, she's done a whole lot of things in her life. Uh, so let me just jump into just a very few. And for those of you who have been paying attention for any length of time, you know I do my homework when it comes to my guests. So here we go. Dr. Marie is an entrepreneur. She is a speaker. She is a resilience expert. Now, this is a new one that I just found out. She didn't mention this, but I will. A top 100 global female entrepreneur. So congrats on that award. Thank you. She, you're welcome. She is the author of Greater Fortune, Essential Lessons from the Entrepreneur Who Bought the Company That Fired Her. Can't wait to hear that story. And let's see, she has a PhD in business, and she is the host of the Moxie Experience. Did I miss anything? Oh, I forgot one. The most important title she has, Mom. Absolutely. That is the most important title. <laughs> All right, Dr. Marie, do us a favor. I mean, we heard the highlights, but... There's always a reason that I have every guest on. Now, it's not just because you have a book, although that is enough of a reason to have you on the show, but take us back in time. How did you get your start in all of this and what led you to where you are today? Okay. So what got me started in, I'll go from the business side, what got me started in the industry that I'm in, which is a very niche industry, it's male dominated. And I'm an, actually in manufacturing of medical diagnostic devices. So we manufacture a very niche product to diagnose dizziness, concussion, traumatic brain injuries, and also a device to treat. So I got into my field by accident. Um, what ended up happening is I was working for a Fortune 500 company, actually Fortune 100, and they Right. They go from Fortune 100 to Fortune 50. They're a very big company. And I was uh, managing their marketing department. I came home. It was a domestic violence situation. And I just left. 
And I found myself, you know, without a home, without a car, with nothing and having to start all over again. So I thought the best way to get myself out of that situation was to get into sales where I can create my own income, where I can generate my own revenue and create my own hours for myself. Because I thought, you know, sales, hey, you know, what can you do? You can earn a commission and you can negotiate your hours. I've got four kids, uh, a baby, (laughs) the rest were toddlers are all, you know, one after another Mm. at that time. So I thought this is the only way I'm going to lift myself out of this situation. Nobody wouldn't give me an opportunity because they said I didn't have experience in sales. I apologize. Can I, but not the intro or the intro. No, the intro is fine. So I, the, how I got into this industry, it's a very niche industry. We're in manufacturing medical device and the product that we manufacture helps diagnose dizziness, concussion, central nervous system disorders, traumatic brain injury, tumors, migraines, et cetera. So we're in a niche industry and then we manufacture a device to treat. I got into this industry because I was working for a Fortune 100 company and I had come home and it was a domestic violence situation. I talk more about it in my book in more detail and also how to get out of domestic violence situations because believe it or not, there are people that are very successful in business, but they're in an abusive situation and they don't know how to get out of it or they may not recognize this situation and how toxic it is to them and their children. Anyway, I got out. I had left my corporate job, home, car, and I've got four kids and a baby. And uh, dad lost parental rights. It was that bad. And this happened in Texas at the time. I live in Ohio now, but I was in Texas at the time. And, you know, Texas is very hard for a father to lose parental rights. So that just gives you an idea of how bad the situation was. I thought that the only way I can get myself out of that situation is if I got a job in sales. Because in sales, You can work on commission. You can create your own hours. And I thought this is the best thing that I can do to left ourselves out of the situation that we are in. However, nobody wanted to give me an opportunity. Everyone kept saying I did not have experience in sales. Now, I had had some experience in marketing. So one of the clinicians that I had worked with from a previous um, type of work that I was doing with, I had a community newspaper. Way, way before I was working for a, uh, for corporate America. And they introduced me to a sales representative. And when I talked to them, they said, yeah, I don't think you're cut out for this. This isn't the same thing. Um, that's what you do. And I'm like, wait a minute. If I can convince board of directors on how to manage a $600 million marketing budget and how to spend it, you mean to tell me I can't sell a widget that's $150,000? And they looked at me and they said, well, let me see if I can get a meeting with my boss. Got a meeting over the phone. And I said, look, why don't you just give me an opportunity to go to your training? And if I do well, then I've got a job. But if I don't do well, then I just come back home. So they gave me an opportunity and what? And I did the training and I did very well. I mean, I was so excited because I'm like, yes, I got a job. And, you know, it was, uh, it felt great. You know, it feels great when you see that you got a hundred on everything. and You're like, yes, I'm in. And then, when the president of the organization, he's up front and he's wrapping everything up and he says, some of you did very well on your test, but you're not cut out for this industry. You're not going to make it. Doesn't matter if you did well on your test because this is a man's world. 
And I'm like uh, looking around and I hadn't noticed that. And I was like, oh, I am the only woman here. And mm-hmm. so he said, um, basically, there was no room for some of us in the organization. So when he was walking out and I'm in the back of the room and I said, hey, were you talking to me? And he says, yeah, I was talking to you. He says, you're not going to make it. You're not cut out for this. And I said, look, why don't you give me uh, an opportunity, straight commission for 30 days? If I don't sell anything, then you can tear up my contract. But if I sell something and I meet your quota, then I'm in. And he just thought, you know, yeah, whatever. So he told the VP to give me a, a contract. They gave me a contract. And the VP was like, look, you're not going to make it. He says, are you willing to take the doctors out to the strip club? to go hunting and fishing. He shows me a picture of his yacht and he says, look, I take the doctors out on my yacht. He goes, I don't think you're you're able to do anything like that. So I don't think you're going to make it because that's what it takes to sell this type of department. Mm. And I said, I don't need that. Just give me the contract and you'll see. So I signed the contract, went home. Uh, it was a family situation that happened and I didn't sell anything for three weeks. So I get a call from the president and he says, Hey, we're canceling your contract. And I said, why? If, you know, I still have time left. And he said, look, look, you haven't sold anything in three weeks. He says, so we're going to cancel your contract. I said, give me one more week. I have one week left. He just laughed, held up the phone. Well, long story short, I made my quota like on that last Friday. <laughs> and I ended up selling like six units. And I detail this in my book. But I sold six units. I called the president and I said, well, I'm in now. And he says, yeah, let's see if that check clears. Well, he actually oh. said that. And that check cleared. And I became the top national sales representative in that organization. Anyway, um, that organization ended up holding on the equipment that we're selling. They had something went sideways with their relationship with the manufacturer. Mm-hmm. So I had to go find a new a company to sell for. So I found a manufacturer to sell for that was in a totally different space. And I mm. fell in love with it because um, my backstory of my history, which they had no idea, was that my mother suffered traumatic brain injury. So mm. I I was so passionate about it. I was so excited and had to kind of go through the whole thing all over again of selling myself. But mm. I had a track record now. I had relationships with doctors and in fact it was so funny because one of the i said i had a relationship with this doctor who was a cardiologist and they said what you can't sell a cardiologist what's wrong with you because it's not nick and i said Mm. well yeah you know when a patient has dizziness they check the carotid arteries to make sure that there's enough uh, blood going to the brain and many times as you stated 80, you know, one out of five patients go improperly diagnosed. And the majority of the time, it's not that. And then they don't know what to do with the patient. So why not? They need to know what's going on with them. And they just thought, okay, yeah, whatever. Well, they got their FDA clearance, just gotten their clearance. So they hadn't even sold one unit yet. I sold the very first unit. Um, Of course, they had older studies with like Vanderbilt, Yale, and the most prestigious organizations did all the clinical validation. So it was a solid product. I was really in love with it. So I said, I'm going to sell this cardiologist. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And then I sold the cardiologist and they're like, wow, well, she made our first sale for the company as soon as we got the FDA clearance, which happened to be a cardiologist. 
And today, though, cardiologists are not allowed to use the equipment. It has to be a neurologist or uh, someone who deals specifically with traumatic brain injury, central nervous system disorders, or vestibular-based issues. But at that time, that's the way it was. And so I would sell two doctors that tested specifically for dizziness or traumatic brain injury type of, you know, situation. So that's how I got into the industry. And I did very well. I became one of the top sales representatives. And then I get a call one day from one of the executives in marketing. And he says, I want to meet with you. And I was really excited. I'm like, wow, I got the attention of, you know, one of the higher ups. This is exciting stuff. In fact, I called all my friends and you know how us girls do. Hey, guess what? Right. You know, this is (laughs) happening. And I think I'm going to get a raise or I think I'm going to, you know, I really was expecting an offer to be part of the company. So I was really excited. And we go out and we meet for a meal. And um, he says, we are doing such a great job. We are so proud of you. And I was really excited. I'm like, I'm getting praise. This is great news. And I'm feeling great. Passes over a piece of paper to me. I open it. I look at it. And it's an offer. And what they were offering me was a salary. That was what I was making on a monthly basis. And I thought, I, I can't. I, yeah. It, and it was a good salary. A lot of, you know, a lot of people would think, you know, it's a great salary. It's $150,000 a year. And wow. so a lot of people would say, that's a great salary. But when you're making that kind of money on a monthly basis, or sometimes uh, bi-monthly, many times a monthly. And he says, look, we're tired of writing checks to you. Oh, my God. Or not, he didn't say we. He actually said, the accountant is tired of writing checks to you. And the... Uh, Chief financial officer is, you know, he just sees all these checks going out. And so we're, we're going to have to change your, your structure. And I said, no, thank you. I'll stay the way I am. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, you don't understand. You don't have a choice. You either take this or you're fired. You can't come back. You don't have wow. a choice. Well, I knew that I couldn't accept that because I have four kids at that time. Mm-hmm. And I had to travel with them on $150,000 salary. I can't travel the country with my kids. I can't pay for the healthcare expenses. I was paying for my own marketing and they didn't understand the passion behind it. And a lot of companies, I get it. You know, you don't know what's going on um, behind the scenes with your employees. But that's why when I do my consulting and my coaching, um, I was consulting with one of my clients. And he says, hey, our marketing person, I'm going to have to let her go. Um, we're paying her like, I don't know, $250,000 a year. And I said, where were you before you hired her? And he says, well, we were in the red. We're in the black now, but look how much I'm paying her. This is crazy. I said, how much revenue are you generating as a direct result of what she's bringing in? A lot of companies don't realize that the, the ROI, the return on investment, and you really need to do an analysis on your return on investment. You know, even if it's a conference you're going to, what's the potential income that you can make by by connection you make with someone Mm -hmm. or a potential client? So you need to look at that. And a lot of times um, as business owners, they don't see that. They just see the money going out and they want to see higher revenues. Well, that's not the way you're going to increase your revenue. You you definitely don't want to cut there. That's what happened to me. Mm -hmm. I was complete. I was let go. I find myself making zero. And with four kids. And of course, that impacts you. I mean, it was like getting punched in the gut and it hurts. And so I went to one of my best friends. Um, He's got family, Dr. Martin. 
his wife's a nurse. They're both, they both just took me in under their wing that they were my clients and then they became dear friends of mine. So I'm crying and I'm like, I don't believe I got fired and I'm so depressed. And he's like, this is the best day of your life. People are like, what do you mean it's the best day of my life? Like, this is the worst day of my life. Like, you don't understand. You don't work for You know, you don't, you're not a single parent. You know, you got Rosie and I'm just giving all my excuses. And he says, right. no, um, why don't you start your own company? And I just couldn't understand how I would start my own company. Then he goes, you're smart. You've built relationships. And he helped me to see what I had accomplished. And sometimes we can't see that, you know, sometimes we're so stuck in all the bad stuff that's happening to us and we don't see the good things that have happened or the good things that we've gone through. Mm -hmm. So in my book, I share strategies on how you can, how do you can see opportunity when all you see is adversity or all you are experiencing mm-hmm. is adversity. And so there, there are some strategies that you can use to help you push through those challenging times. Or when you come across those challenging times, you can get yourself out pretty quickly. So he helped me to see that. So what I started to do was I started to contact my, I came up with an idea and there was a device that did not exist and it tested for different biomarkers for diabetes, stroke, and things of that nature. And so I contacted different manufacturers and then said, hey, would you be interested in investing in our organization? Mm -hmm. And they said, no, you don't have experience in manufacturing at all. (laughs) Why would we want to invest with you? You're good at sales. Why don't you just continue to do sales? Because that is what you are good at. And I said, well, you know, how am I going to raise this money? So I thought, well, I'll go sell for other companies and I raise my own money. And mm-hmm. I contacted so many people. Nobody wanted to invest, but people were willing to support me in the sense of engineers, for example. What we'll do is we'll provide our time in return for some shares. Mm. Um, the clinical director says, we'll do some clinical validations for you in return for some shares. And I said, okay, I'll go ahead and do that. So I funded it myself 100%. And it was a painstaking process. FDA clearance is not easy, especially when it's a class two device. So I finally got my device cleared. And once I got it cleared, we did very, very well that I got the attention of a lot of people, one of them being the company that fired me. So the marketing guy contacts me again. He says, hey, are you interested in investing in our company? And so I went and I took my accountant and we did evaluation. And it turns out I had done 80 some percent of the sales. And so I said, I don't want to just buy the company. I want to, I mean, I don't want to invest in the company. I want to buy the company. And six months later, I ended up buying the company that fired me. Mm-hmm. And so that's how that happened. And that was almost a decade ago. Everybody said over a decade ago, actually, everybody said that we're gonna, I was going to bankrupt myself in a company within six months. And we're the leader in our industry. Today, we've impacted over 2.5 million patients um, through our devices, you know, that the doctors use, not us directly, but the clinicians using our device have been able to help so many patients with our equipment. That's fantastic. Wow. Uh, I mean, the work that you do, I mean, the story behind it, you know, I always find those interesting. It Just on the surface, you know, you hear something like, you know, I bought the company that fired me. It's like, I just, I knew there was more to the story and that's why I wanted to hear you talk about it. 
because that's uh, I find that so intriguing. In fact, one of the things that you mentioned, I'd, I'd love to hear more about. You talked about ways to create opportunities out of adversity, because I think there's a lot of folks out there who are maybe in similar situations to you where they, because of COVID, were at home working and then were given ultimatums after. And their companies have told them, look, you got to come back in. And they're like, you know what? I really like working from home. It's so much easier. There's a lot of stuff I don't have to deal with. I said, you either come in or you're fired. And a lot of them, that's what ended up happening. They either got fired for that or for, you know, a litany of other reasons, but they haven't developed the ability to be able to see the opportunities and adversities. So how do you do that? So one of the things that uh, Dr. Martin showed me see is what I had already accomplished. So you've accomplished a great number of things. So you can make a list of things that you have accomplished that have gone well. Also, things that you're good at. So we tend to compare ourselves to other people or we see somebody else who has an amazing idea and we're like, oh, I want to take that idea. And you think it'll work for you. But that idea wasn't meant for you. That wasn't gifted to you. You have your own gifts. And if you write down a list of 10 things that you are good at, don't compare them to anybody else. It doesn't matter how insignificant you think that gift is. That gift is yours. I mean, people have made millions of dollars of, you know, making cakes, you know, babysitting and creating a multi-million daycare center, dollar mm-hmm. daycare center. Um, it can be anything. Um, my son is into yo-yos and everybody laughs because they're like, that's like, that's from a different era. Which wrong with you? The, the tricks he does, they're amazing. And it's a, there is a yo-yo manufacturing company that's like a multi-million dollar yo-yo um, manufacturing company that they make millions of dollars in competitions and all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff that I, I wasn't even aware of I got into it. Yeah. But it can be anything. Write down things that you, 10 things that you are good for and it, it good at. And then you can develop a product, a service, an idea or a business idea based on that and how you can service others. And maybe you're not interested in creating your own business and hiring people. But the way I look at it, and I know this is a completely different mindset than what's popular today, because what's popular today is either I have a job or an entrepreneur. You know what? You're always an entrepreneur if you live in the United States. Why? Because you negotiate your own salary. You negotiate your own terms. Before I was uh, working on salary, I... I mean, before I was working on commission, when I was working on salary, I would negotiate my own bonuses. When I would get hired, I would say, before I start, if I do X, Y, and Z, I want a $10,000 bonus quarterly or whatever. You know, I would just create my own. And what you have nothing to lose other than them saying no. So I always looked at myself as an entrepreneur, whether... I had my own business or not. And mm. I think that mindset is lacking today. In fact, I was reading a story, what it's called uh, Minimum Mondays. Like it's a trend to do the least amount of work on Mondays. And then there's also a trend to do the least amount of work, period. There are influencers out there that are saying, hey, as long as your boss sees you working, you're fine and you won't lose your job. My mindset says, do more. That way you can demand more. 
when you go and you tell your boss, you know what? I accomplished this and this and this for you. I brought in this much money into the organization. All right. I saved you X amount of hours. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You can now demand a higher salary or go somewhere else where someone will pay you that salary. You're still your own boss. Don't look at it as I'm working for somebody because you, this mindset of slavery, it doesn't exist here. I'm sorry. You're in the United States. You don't like where you work. Go find a job where you do like where you work. Okay. Because we have freedom. You're not forced to work somewhere. You're not tied. My employees are not tied down. They can leave anytime they want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I don't like this minimum Monday. I think it's ridiculous. And I think it's very hurtful for businesses, especially small businesses. And I think it's hurtful to you because it doesn't allow you to grow. It doesn't, because not all of us are meant to be business owners, to have employees. Some of us don't want to do that. Or maybe we're at a time in our lives where we're not ready for that. I know there was Mm -hmm. a time in my life where there's no way I would have been ready to run my own business. So definitely you're hurting yourself if you are, if you have that minimum Monday mindset. (laughs) Thinking people need to get rid of it because it doesn't work. And that's what's helped me to become successful. And it has helped me to get to where I am because I'm able to think outside the box, to to think of ways how I can add value to others. And so when you're thinking of that, it doesn't matter what your job is. You can be a bus boy at, you know, somewhere and you're just getting started. But mm-hmm. if you're faster than every other bus boy and you add more value, hey, I've given tips to bus boys. I've given yeah. 200 bucks to a bus boy, you know. People see that and they recognize that. Then you can move up the ladder. Then you can say, hey, you want, you know what? I want more responsibility. If that's what you want, maybe you're happy doing that. And if you're happy doing that, great for you. But then you're happier in your job instead of miserable thinking, I'm tied up here. I'm a slave. I'm just an employee. No, that's a horrible mindset. So those are some things that you can do to get yourself out of an adverse situation. Look at where mm-hmm. you are right now. Where am I now? Am I safe? Am I okay? Okay, maybe you just, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're listening to this and you're like, you don't understand. I just went through bankruptcy or I just lost my wife or my spouse or, or, or heaven forbid, you just lost a family member or a friend. I know the pain of that. That's hurtful. But whatever you're going through, there is a way out. So look at where you are right now. And, uh, and then take a look at, the skill sets that you have in what ties in with what you do, what you're gifted in, in not what anybody else is, but you yourself, because you have a gift to offer to everyone. Definitely. Definitely. What got you into speaking? Oh, boy. So people kept saying, you need to share your story about how you bought the company that fired you. And I did not want to share that story. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, that's, I don't want to speak because I wasn't comfortable um, getting out there and speaking. I could speak about my, you know, put me in a room of a million doctors and I could just, I'm comfortable in that space. But to talk about my personal life and to talk about things like that, I wasn't comfortable in that as at all. And one of my friends kept pushing me and pushing me. And then I had another person, uh, her name was uh, Joyce Diaz. She's like, Marie, you need to do this. And I said, no, I don't like my boys. And it was, Hey, there's people that sound like chipmunks and they're out speaking. You can do this. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, hey, I'll do it. And then like a year passed, I didn't do anything. Then finally she pushed me. So she's one of the um, influencers. 
Another one was Nuss Brown. He heard my story. And one of my employees, before I bought the company that fired me, um, told him about my story. He, he, mm. he got into speaking himself. And Les Brown said, hey, young man, how did you get into the healthcare? And he said, well, this girl, Marie, da-da-da, tells him the story. And he goes, well, what? She bought the company that fired her. Give me her number. So Les Brown called me. And he mm. shows up in my, he says, I'm going to go to your office. Shows up in my office on a Monday. And... <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, so he comes in and I can't believe he was in my office till like then at 5 p.m. All my employees are gone and mm-hmm. we're in my office talking till like midnight. And then we became best friends after that. And he's like, wow. oh, help me to get and in, break into the speaking world. And uh, so there's been a, a lot of people who have come into my life saying, you need to do this. So I've had a lot of experiences like that. Gotcha. So what do you do to work on your craft, the speaking? The speaking. Mm -hmm. So what I do to work on the craft, I look at, so for example, if someone asked me to come in and speak on, say a school asked me to speak on bullying, right? Okay. So I look at, I I interview um, that person who's making the request and I ask, what are, what's going on in the school? What are the major pitfalls? What are the biggest struggles that the students are having? And so then I develop a talk, a keynote based on those needs to address those issues. So say it's a corporation. I just spoke to a group of entrepreneurs recently in Atlanta. And what are their needs? What what are they struggling with? And then I'll develop a keynote. I'll add activities or worksheets that tie in to address what those needs are so that they mm-hmm. they can get the value that they need. Okay. And how... Do- Maybe how is not the right way to ask that. Anybody who wants to be good at anything has to develop those skills, even if you're naturally gifted at something. And we'll just say speaking happens to be it. If you don't work on it, you're never going to get above the level that you're at. So my question is, what are the things that you're doing right now to help you become better as a speaker? So what some of the things that I've done is... I've taken improv classes. I've taken acting classes. I do, I do stand-up comedy. I fell in love with it. So now I actually do stand-up comedy as well uh, because <laughs> I did that to get better at speaking just to give me that experience of being on stage in front of an mm-hmm. audience. And I fell in love with it. I'm like, oh, this is like my happy place. Like it really is my happy place. I love it. <laughs> so <laughs> those are things that, that I've done okay. that help me. Uh, become a better speaker. Okay, so where can we find those videos of you doing stand-up? So my youngest son is 13. I -hmm. do clean comedy, nothing but clean comedy. But there are some topics that I'm not comfortable with him listening to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just because of his age. Um, He just turned 13, just turned 13. And I know he's not, I do a lot of dating stuff that's really hilarious. Um, experiences. I, it's more biographical. Huh. And then I do stuff that he, he knows that I do. So all my, all my comedy is live at, sta- mm. you know, stand up. Live stand up is what I do. So basically you have to catch me at a comedy, you know, at a comedy club. If you want to watch it live, I guess eventually when he gets older, like the older kids are fine. They like, they know, you know, they're mm. adults and it's not bad. Actually, it's pretty clean, but I know my son would be horrified and. There's no <laughs> to, to do that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. I, I'm sure you and I could commiserate with our uh, horrible dating stories. 
<laughs> yeah. I have way too many to recount. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so do so do I. And it seems like the same the same recurring theme happens over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. One of yeah. them is like somehow um I keep I I look like a great babysitter. So guys oh like God. become all of it spins on me. Oh my gosh. Yeah, wow. So I'm not a funny story on that. So. Oh my gosh. Okay. I, I we gotta hear at least one now. One, one story. Okay. One really hilarious story is this guy. And this happened before my my 13-year-old um son was born when I had the four, because there's a big gap. So I like a single mom of four kids for a long time. Then mm-hmm. I had a 13-year-old and I had him when I was like 40. So now you know my age. So um I was at the time I was in sales. And this guy mm-hmm. was in purchasing and I was really impressed with him because he's got like five kids and he's a single dad. And I'm like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, how sweet. He's got full custody. What a wonderful guy. Right. And yeah. so um, we meet up for uh, lunch and um, daily we would have lunch all the time. And then finally, after about like six months, he's like, hey, you got four kids. I got five kids. Why don't we have a fun day at the beach? You bring the kids. I'll bring the kids. Mm-hmm. So but like, okay, that sounds like fun, right? And I bring my kids. Um, all the kids are out, you know, on the beach. They're playing and stuff. And oh my goodness, those kids, they were, they were demons. So he leaves oh three, three of them behind. And I, I named them the three demons. Well, I called them the three albums. They were like horrible. And then like one of them, he's like, he's like, ah, Look at her butt. She's got such an old lady butt. I'm like, are you serious? Like, you gotta be kidding me. My like, gosh. Yeah, like, they are so mean. And um, one kid's like, oh, your legs, they look like cottage cheese. And why do your legs look like cottage cheese? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, I just, like, you know what? You're deaf. <laughs> it's like, so crazy. But then um, one kid, I mean, like, oh, my gosh, this, this kid was like really bratty and just just horrible. So then finally, and his dad had left, and he and I'm with it with his kid, and he's like, "Hey, can I have some candy?" So by this point, I'm really exasperated, and I'm mm-hmm. like, "No!" I I, I grab this kid, I'm looking at him, say, "No, this is your mama and it's you." And he starts screaming. She's trying to get at me, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this kid!" So then mm-hmm. I'm like. If your mama didn't want you, what makes you think I want you? <laughs> you know, it's wow. Oh, no. Anyway, but just kidding. I didn't say all that. But I wanted to. That was in my head. I mm-hmm. tell this kid that. But he started screaming. Everybody's looking at me like they think I'm trying to kidnap this kid because right. I wouldn't give him candy. But he was so crazy, over the top, hyper, uh, just being mean and ugly, using profanity. <laughs> like, like just a horrible kid, right? Mm-hmm. So all these things are void in my head. These are things I wanted to do. I didn't actually do that, but would have been nice. But yeah, like how security comes over, they're like, "What's going on?" They're questioning <laughs> me, and I'm there, like, "Oh my goodness, here I am. I'm almost in handcuffs in a swimsuit. This is not good." And bring my kids, but yeah, 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 not, not not so good. I get that. <laughs> yeah, I get that. So okay, we could talk for hours about those kinds of experiences. But um, I want to talk for a moment about relationships, because obviously this podcast is called Relationships and Revenue. 
I want to know what it is that you're doing right now, Marie. What are you doing to build into, to make better, to improve your most significant relationships at home? And how do those relationships impact your business? So I think relationships are the most important. And I think that, you know, I wish I would have seen this earlier. And I would travel with my kids. I took them everywhere, but I wasn't present, present. I've seen videos where my kids are there. I'm with my kids, but I'm on my computer working on a quote or something. And I wasn't truly present. So when I'm at home, I'm present with my family and I'm there with them. Mm. My closest friends, they're like family. Um, I say, you know, God sometimes blesses us with friends for apologizing for family. Because um, <laughs> I have some friends that they are like family to me. And I, you know, we have just this close relationship that we can talk about anything. And they're there for me. I'm there for them. So mm-hmm. my family knows that. My my kids know that I'm there for them. So just being present and pouring into them. You know, we do things together, things that, you know, every family is different. So I love outdoor activities. So mm-hmm. I do a lot of outdoor stuff with my son and mm-hmm. we enjoy it. We have lots of fun. He's like my roller coaster buddy. Um, <laughs> we do a lot of outdoor stuff. We like skiing. We like stuff like that. So we do a lot of things like that together. And I think it is so important to have healthy relationships, get toxic relationships out of your life. You don't need them. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, I I am a Christian woman, so I pray. I'm kind of these weird ones. I pray for my enemies. And so my son, if someone does something bad to me, like that person's on our prayer list. We're like, oh, we need to pray for this person. We have prayed for this person. And we've seen incredible turnarounds. I mean, we have seen people who have been so mean, so ugly, turn around and apologize like a year or two years later. Like, it's incredible. So it really, cool. prayer is is amazing. So I do that. I pray um, pray for those people, but I don't have to have them in my life. You know, I can forgive them. Mm-hmm. I don't have to have them as part of my life. If they're causing right. me stress and anxiety and it's too much, I, sorry, don't have time for that. And that does impact your work. And that's mm-hmm. really, really important. So like for my employees with, um, I have one of my employees who, um, and me sometimes needs time to spend with her family because there's a certain situation going on there. I mm-hmm. give her all the time she needs. I don't even complain. I don't even have questions like, Hey, I have an emergency. I've got to go take care of this. I'm like, okay, go take care of that because you know what? Your employee is going to be much more happier knowing that their job is secure. They're not going to get fired because they're taking care of their family. And when they come back to work, they're going to be more productive because mm-hmm. they know that you've got their back. And so I believe that relationships at home are really, really important. And if you're a business owner, you need to recognize that. And a lot of times um, I see young business owners who they're just so focused on the business. And yes. I don't know, when you're young, you just think you live forever. You you don't, mm-hmm. you know, you think life is like forever. It's we're just, you know, it's a very short time, you know, that we're here. We're like gone with the wind. It's just gone. And if you're wise enough, if you're young and you're listening to this and you're wise enough, please pay attention to your relationships. Those are the most important ones because they're going to be there for you when you're older. And so I've seen so many relationships broken because of business or, you know, spouses um, getting divorced 
no reason. I mean, no domestic violence, no nothing. They just, um, they didn't pour into each other. So they just grew apart. And I don't think mm-hmm. that's a good reason because it, that's, you, you need to pour into each other. Your, your business should not be your top priority. And guess what? If you're pouring into your relationships, you're actually making your business a, a priority as well because your business is going to be more successful and you're going to be able to build a stronger business that's going to be long-lasting and not short-term. No, I couldn't agree more with you, Dr. Marie. In fact, one of the things that I do in some of the business coaching that I do, um, often I don't even get to the business side. It takes months before I get to that because we're dealing with the life side of things. I have dozens of friends that are business coaches who won't touch it, who say, look, I'm here to coach somebody on business and that's it. And I, I tell all of them in one way or another, uh, first of all, you're stupid because if you think that what's going on at home doesn't impact the business, uh, there's something wrong with you because it absolutely does. It absolutely does. From if you're not happy at home in a relationship, guess what? That's where affairs start. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I've seen it all, all the time, you know. Yeah. That's where, you know, then do you want in a, a client I was coaching? This actually did happen. Their MRI tech was having an affair with a front office girl. Both mm. of them were married. They oh. both had kids. They were doing it in the office. Guess what? That was taken away from their productivity, mm-hmm. you know? And yep. instead of doing the work that they were supposed to be doing, they're in the closet. <laughs> Right. Doing what right. they shouldn't be doing. Guess what? That's going to affect your bottom line. That's going to mm-hmm. affect productivity. That's going to impact everything. So yes, you, relationships, if you're a business owner, hey, let your employees know, hey, if there's something going on at home, I have an open door policy, you know, pay for counseling for your employees. That's the mm. best investment you can make. Yes. If it's a life coach, maybe it's an executive or personal coach, or it could be a counselor. But mm. invest in your employees because if you invest in your employees, guess what? They're going to be loyal to you. They'll never leave you. You know, that's, that's one of the things that we see, huge turnovers. I see that all the time in businesses. They have a huge employee turnover because why? There's issues at home and something's not working out at work. So they have to go find another job that's going to satisfy those needs that are going to fulfill what they need at home to be fulfilled. But if you're providing that value, your employees are going to be there for you. You're not going to have to worry about that turnover because that's another expense. That's another, mm-hmm. you know, return on investment is going to be huge if you pour in into your employees. So I'm so glad you're doing that. Oh, absolutely. I've been doing it for a long time. That's and, awesome. You know, well, part of it, this is my belief, uh, Dr. Marie. Uh, let's see if it jives with you. I think it probably will, but well, let's just see. I think often in life, clarity comes through pain because pain is very clarifying. It's just that part of the reason we get it in whatever form it happens to come in. But the most painful event in my life was my divorce. And I had an opportunity with that. I had my opportunity was, are you going to learn from this and grow and get better? Or are you going to continue to repeat the same patterns of the past that led you to where you are now, which means you're never going to get better. Everything's going to stay exactly like it is. Now, if I liked it like it was, then I was I was set. I was good to go. But I hated it. I hated everything about it. And so I took that opportunity, that opportunity out of adversity that you were talking about just a little bit ago. And I worked on me. I got some therapy to help me through some of the issues because I finally recognized that some of the things 
that I brought to the marriage that weren't healthy, they were in other relationships that I had as well, because I was the common denominator in all those. So as I did the work to get better, everything else started to improve, just like poof, magic. You know, it wasn't magic, but um, and, and it wasn't like an overnight thing. You know, I don't tell anybody if you want to get better in your relationships, it is hard work. The hardest work you'll ever do is the investment in your most significant relationships. Now, for most people, that's a marriage. That is the number one. But if you're not married, like I'm not, uh, then there's other ones like with your kids. And then I try not to limit people because some pe for some people, their most significant relationships are with people they work with, which is fine. So, I mean, they should work on those. So whatever ones we deem to be most significant, that's where we need to put our efforts in because when we do, the natural outgrowth is things get better in business. They absolutely, whether you work for somebody else or not, they just get better. And so the point I was trying to make with all that is that it starts with pain. Pain leads to purpose, which leads to platform. Typically in that order, not for everybody, but for most people, that's the order that it happens. Now, would you say that's how it happened for you? Absolutely, you're right on target. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlin. Thanks again for listening. And remember, passion gets you started. Purpose keeps you going. Have a great day and we'll see you next time. Bye.